America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, and what a historic show we have today. You know, I was thinking about this, and in the nine years I've been on the air, I think this is probably the most important show we will have, because to me this show will be historic, and our guest will go down in history as being the civil rights leader. You know how we had Martin Luther King Jr., and, you know, we've had all these great civil rights leaders. She will be the civil rights leader that helped change employment, which is unemployment, for Americans with disabilities. Welcome to the show, Pat Shue. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you for your kind words. Um, I'm so pleased to be with you all today. Hey, Pat is the director of the Office of Federal Contract and Compliance Programs, which is part of the United States Department of Labor. And as you all know, we have a really big thing going on for Americans with Disabilities, Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act. But before we get into that, because I know we have callers, um, Pat, could you take just a few minutes and explain to everyone what OFCCP is? Um, despite our name, uh, OFCCP is the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, and we are the civil rights agency at the Department of Labor. And our mission is to protect workers, promote diversity, and enforce the law. And we do that on behalf of those people who work for federal contractors and subcontractors, which is about 25% of the American workforce. Um, most people don't know it, but federal government dollars of approximately $700 billion go to federal contractors to provide all kinds of goods and services um, to federal agencies such as food, uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, defense uh, products, um, clothing, the list goes on and on. And the people who work for those federal contractors are covered by OFCCP's executive order and two laws. And we are here to protect the civil rights of those workers and to ensure that those federal contractors and subcontractors engage in affirmative action. So let me just give a little history behind this because OFCCP is actually the byproduct um, of many different administrations, both Democratic and Republican. It was actually the concept of regulating contractors was first devised by Franklin Roosevelt, who believed sincerely that there should not be any discrimination uh, by defense contractors against African Americans. Um, LBJ 
um, enacted Executive Order 11246, but we had all kinds of Republicans, Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, JFK, all of whom were essential components to what we now see as the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs. We have... Uh, Offices all over the country, um, both um, on on U- U.S. territory as well as in Hawaii, Samoan Islands, um, and we're here to help. We're here to help people who believe they have been victimized by discrimination or harassment. Um, we usually conduct our our audits. Um, that's how we investigate discrimination is usually by audits, but we also entertain uh, individual complaints, and that's generally what we do with respect to Section 503 enforcement. And, uh, Pat, you were talking about the percentage of people that work for federal contractors. I think you said it was 22%. It's about 22 to 25%. It's, it, it's hard to get, get a precise number, but that's the range. Well, that is gigantic. It is gigantic. That is unbelievable. And so you're all understanding that what she's saying that percentage, 22 to 25% of workers work for federal contractors in America. And as she stipulated, they receive, what was that, $900 billion? Is that what she said? About $700 billion and growing. $700 billion and growing revenues paid by the federal government to these federal contractors, which means they do not have to do what OFCCP ask them to do as long as they'll give the money back. Is that right, Pat? Well, they're federal dollars. I mean, those are the taxpayer dollars that each and every one of us pays that the federal government uses to buy these services. Um, And when you sign on the dotted line to engage in the contract and provide the service, you also agree not to discriminate and to engage in affirmative action. Um, And we are here to make sure that those federal contractors do just that. Which is so important to all of us. Pat, I'm going to get right into this because I even have, uh, in addition to callers I know that are going to be coming in, I also have some people that on Twitter have sent me questions. Um, so, as we all know, the unemployment of people with disabilities is horrible. Uh, we are among the highest rates in the United States. As a matter of fact, since the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed in 1990, really we have not been able to move the needle when it comes to the employment of Americans with disabilities. Now we have a chance, and I wanted you to take a few minutes, explain to everyone what Section 503 of the Rehab Act means to people with disabilities and what you're trying to achieve right now. Well... In our notice, uh, notice of proposed rulemaking, we, we suggest a number of different things. Um, one of the things that we suggest for the first time is a range in goals, hiring goals and utility goals, so that federal contractors really have to make an effort to hire people with disabilities. And we're going to require some accountability and metrics with respect to this. These goals are not unlike the goals that uh, OFCCP has with respect to federal contractors and the supply and service industry for women and minorities. But I think 
the goals are important, but what's really important to remember is we have outlined a number of steps that we think are very important for contractors to undertake in order for them to create a workplace that is both welcoming for people with disabilities, that allows people with disabilities to, to thrive. And it's each of those steps that really will mark whether a contractor succeeds in creating a workplace that is welcoming and receptive to people with disabilities. So, for example, we've outlined recruitment and outreach steps that have to be undertaken. If you don't have people who are applying for jobs at your workplace and you're a federal contractor, chances are you're not doing the kind of outreach and recruitment that you need to. Once people apply, what does the application process look like? What does the interview process look like? When somebody is being interviewed for a job, are they told um, more than just about the salary and sick leave and, 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 and um, vacation? Is, it, is the company taking an opportunity at that point to discuss other issues that might be important? For example, reasonable accommodation policies, the culture of the workplace, one that um, encourages people and makes it very clear that it is okay to take time off of work to care for yourself, to care for an ill child or an ill spouse or a partner. That's all part of the kind of steps we're asking contractors to take. So if you look at the stages in which people are hired, obviously recruitment and outreach is important. The application process is important. So if you have people and you hire people and they are now in the workplace, can you retain them? What do your retention numbers tell you? If, if people with disabilities um, apply for jobs, get jobs, but they leave, why do they leave? Do they leave because there are not reasonable accommodation policies? Do they leave because they don't know about those policies? Do they leave because supervisors are not trained and how to enforce those policies? And so we look at every stage that's really important in terms of the employment process. Um, and those are the sorts of steps that contractors are going to have to undertake along with data collection so that they can look themselves at how well they're doing at every step along the way and then improve whatever processes that they need to improve. Um, but we're also going to require training, and we're going to require that there are, um, are reasonable accommodation policies, as, as I've described. Um, but that's just the general overall um, picture that we have here. Uh, the data is going to be very important. Linkage agreements are going to be very important. But what we're trying to do in the NPRM, as we've stated, is to ensure that there are meaningful linkage agreements so that contractors can link up with those agencies and organizations where they have found that it is fruitful and beneficial and productive and that has actually led to people with disabilities being hired in their workplace. Which will be awesome. You know, I have to think about when you were talking about the National Security Agency, which in the public sector has partnered with me, and why I'm mentioning them is, you know, they have an initiative with me and with many other organizations to employ Americans with disabilities. So they go on an outreach to many, many uh, venues, you know, not just one, to bring in people with disabilities. And when they were interviewed and asked, wow, so many people are having a hard time, you know, hiring people with disabilities, 
why are you able to? I'll never forget the answer of Harvey Davis when he said, because we want to. And that's, that's important. It's important in uh, that the message come from the top. And when messages come from the top in the workplace, whether it's uh, the message that we're not going to tolerate sex harassment, we're not going to tolerate race discrimination, we're not going to uh, tolerate, you know, anti-immigrant bias or whatever. It, it feeds down. It, it, it just it, uh, it it gets transmitted in very in, in important ways, and that's one of the important things that um, the NPRM suggests, which is to make sure that those at the top have articulated their support of this um, this long-term endeavor, which is to hire people with disabilities. Well, I just want to mention um, a couple of things. But first, I wanted to mention that um, there has been a two-week extension because the comment period was to end today, actually, and uh, OFCCP and the Department of Labor have granted a two-week extension. But at the end of that two weeks, February 21st, that will be, in fact, the end of the comment period. Is that correct, Pat? That's correct. The uh, comment period is February 21st. Um, you know, let me say that we encourage comments from all sectors and from all of our stakeholders. Uh, sometimes what we don't get so much of are the comments from workers themselves. Um, what this sort of rule a uh, proposed rule might do to affect their life, their ability to get a job, um, whether they think this rule works, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. That's very important for all of us because we want this to work on a practical level and we want to make sure that it achieves the Secretary's goal of good jobs for everyone. And we want to make sure that it, it achieves President Obama's vision. Um, of inclusion of people with disabilities into all aspects of American society. That is correct. I agree with you. So as a woman with a disability, many of my listeners know I'm living with epilepsy and a hearing loss and the CEO of Bender Consulting Services, uh, a company that employs people with disabilities. I want to send out myself this challenge and this message. We have for years now, said we need employment. We need employment. Now it's our turn. So we've been given this opportunity through President Obama's administration. So I am encouraging all of you to take time to you know, send in those comments, to talk to small businesses where they will support this uh, or not-for-profits, we in the disability community have to make it happen. We are one group that has to make it happen. Although I am very proud of uh, different huge corporations who have already sent comments, uh, one of which is Bear Corporation. And you know what you said, Pat, about the commitment coming from the top. Here's a multi-billion-dollar company, with, but Greg Babe, the CEO, has made that clear throughout the company of his belief in the employment of people with disabilities, and it has surely worked because they've been doing this for 15 years. That That's I know terrific. Of. That's just terrific. Those are the kinds of leaders within corporate America that can show others how it can work, um, why it can work, and the fruits of that endeavor. 
Yes, and I also know that Will Risk, um, that American Airlines sent in a letter of support. See, this is what we need. We need these large corporations. We need all of you to send in these comments. Um, and, Pat, we do have some questions that have come through. Um, so this is from Jack. Uh, he sent the question from uh, Twitter, and it says, uh, Director Shu, I understand Congress is having a problem with this. What impact will that have? Um, we haven't received any, um, well, I don't know if we've received any formal comments from Congress yet. The comment period hasn't closed. Um, I think that there are many um, who are supportive, but of course, you know, um, What's really important for us is that we get your views and that you send them to us, um, if you can, so they can be part of the official record. We, of course, look at everybody's comments, including those provided by Congress people, um, but we really need to, to hear from the breath of everybody on this one. Yeah, and my guess, Jack, is that, and thank you for the question, but my guess is that that probably was, you know, sort of spun by different people, because I can say I've heard nothing. I mean, I have heard very supportive comments, but I have not heard uh, negative comments. Well, so I, uh, that is my opinion, especially with the comment period not ending yet, but I have heard very supportive comments, Pat. And and, and so have, have we. Um, uh, Congressman Steny Hoyer... Um, Senator Harkin, um, others have been very supportive and have expressed that support publicly um, to their constituents and to others. Yes, and to that point, you know, I know Senator Harkin has spoken to a large degree about this, and Senator Harkin, thank you. Um, I know that Steny Hoyer has. Um, and many others have across the board. Uh, it's just I know those two people so well. But every person speaking up, that helps us so much. Uh, and, Pat, I believe that more people know, need to understand this. Where can people go to read about this? Where should they go to make comments? Um, well, they should submit their comments um, to the Department of Labor, um, Deborah Carr, and if they were to look on the DOL OFCCP website, they will see exactly where they need to submit their comments. The comments um, need to be submitted in writing to um, www.regulations.gov. Um, and they need to follow the instructions for submitting comments. And here's what's called the RIN number, supposedly some important number, 1250-capital A, capital A, O2. Or you can mail, hand deliver, or courier comments to Deborah Carr. Who's the director division of uh, the director of our policy division at OFCCP, which is at 200 Constitution Avenue Northwest, Washington D.C. 20210. Please make sure that you put in our room number, which is C-3325, because sometimes things get stuck downstairs in the mail. 
Yeah, we don't want that to happen. What is that room number again? C3325. Okay, and uh, we have another question here for you, Pat. Uh, first of all, Director Shu, I want to commend you. I am so happy that someone has finally stood up for us. We believe this could be the biggest boost ever to employment, but my question to you is what do we need to do to help? You need to, one, submit your comments to us. Um, that's the most important thing that you need to do right now. You need to submit your comments um, to us and explain whatever positions that you may have, how it's affected your life, how it will affect your life. Because when we're evaluating all aspects of the rule, we have to take into consideration every stakeholder's position, and I mean each and every last stakeholder's position. And sometimes there are conflicting positions on various issues, and we have to make hard choices. But we want to make, we're ready to make the hard choices, um, but we do need to hear from you. Okay, and to that note, I think we have a caller on the line. Um, go ahead, caller. I think this is George. Yeah, I'm calling from Washington, D.C. Oh, George, hi. Thank you for calling in. How are you? I'm calling to support you guys, support uh, uh, the, the resolution. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. What can we do to what – can, what more can we do? Tell us. Well, I think um, if if you can submit, because we're right at this regulatory stage, which is um, we've got this rule out there that we're proposing, right? And in order for us to to kind of take the next steps, we actually have to hear from everybody who's interested in the rule. And so if you have an interest in the rule, I suggest that you try and take an opportunity to go read it online, and you don't have to comment on all of it. You can comment on any part of it. Um, just tell us what you think about it, good, bad, or otherwise, what you think works, what doesn't work, how it might affect your life, how it would have affected your life. Okay. Um, just tell us your thoughts because we want to hear from everybody about this. All right. Cool. What, what's the website again? The website is www.regulations.com. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay, hold on a second. You know, what you could do is you could just go to the Department of Labor. Okay. Um, to our DOL website. Okay. We are at the Department of Labor, and then we are the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs. Let me give you that website, okay? Okay. It's um, www.dol.gov. Okay. Uh, slash O F C C P. Do you say O F? O F. Okay. O F C P, right? O F C C P. O F C C T. Yes. And then you just look for the rule that says Section 503. Okay. okay. Do you say C C T T like Tom? O F F is in father. C is in cap. C is in cat and P is in pat. All right. Hey, George. Yeah, George, please, I, please. first Hi. of all, thank you for calling. Sure, but thanks. I want to tell you another thing you can do. Talk about it. Talk oh. about it to everyone with disabilities. Talk about it. 
because we won't have our freedom till we have employment. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, thanks for calling, George. Thank you. You're welcome. And that is the truth, folks. We're not going to be free in this country till we have employment, because if you don't have employment, can't buy a house, can't buy a car, can't live that American dream until you are working. Um, Pat, yes. speaking of the disability community, I guess what we can all do to make this happen is make comments, talk to people, and let uh, not-for-profits know that we also want their comments. Yes, we want comments. Let me make it clear to you folks, the more comments, the more effective all of this will be. Uh, Pat, a question for you here yes. is, uh, Director Shu, can you tell us when will we know that Section 503 is going to happen? We are anticipating um, issuing the final rule in the next couple of months. Um, it, it just depends. Um, there's no set time frame. We have to go through our process, which takes a long time. Although I'm encouraging you to send comments, we read and analyze each and every one of them. And before we can um, churn out a good rule, we have to think about those comments and analyze them, make some hard decisions, do a lot of talking so that we get this right. Um, this is a historic time in our country with this administration, and we need to make sure that um, you know, we, we get this right. We, we don't often get to revise our regulations. It was 30 years since we've revised these regulations. So there's a lot of work that's been put into this, and there's a lot more work to come. Right. You understand that this was in 19, I think, 73. Is that around when it was? Yeah, yeah when the Rehab Act was, was passed. Yeah, it's even more than 30 years. Yeah, so my point is, listen to that, folks. This happened in 1973, and until this chance right now with President Obama's administration and Pat Shu at OFCCP and the Secretary of Labor, I am telling you, it has never happened. This would be the biggest impact of all time in the employment of people with disabilities beyond the Americans with Disabilities Act. You need to take note. Uh, Pat, how about accommodations? Uh, you talked a little bit about that before, but with Section 503, I'm assuming that's going to have a big impact on accommodations. Yes. Um, the OFCCP is proposing in our NPRM that contractors develop and implement written procedures regarding the processing of reasonable accommodation requests. Um, the proposal would require that the reasonable accommodation procedures be included in the affirmative action program and that it would contain a number of very specific elements that we've um, described. And these elements would include, one, how to request reasonable accommodation, two, written confirmation of reasonable accommodation requests, to be provided for people and a time frame for the processing of reasonable requests. The reasonable accommodation procedures should also specify when medical documentation should be sought, 
what are the circumstances where it is appropriate to request medical documentation, and that should be set out too so everybody knows. Employees know, applicants know, and those making the accommodations also know. I mean, the, the idea behind reasonable accommodation is, you know, what's known as the interactive process. And all we're trying to do is to concretize in very specific steps the interactive process. And all the interactive process is really, at the end of the day, is good communication between the applicant or the employee and the federal contractor with respect to what kind of accommodation is required, the extent of it, when, what kind of documentation is necessary for an employee to provide, and to have that policy be enforced in a very uniform, um, transparent way. In, in workplaces where there is no problem with reasonable accommodation, this kind of takes place successfully just because employees and their employers often sometimes at least, can talk frankly about what kind of accommodation is necessary. We're trying to break down some of those barriers by making sure that everybody knows what responsibilities are of each party, but employees, applicants, as well as contractors, and everybody's playing by the same set of rules all across the board. Reasonable accommodation is absolutely like a key to making this work. Not everybody needs a reasonable accommodation. Many people may not. But if someone does need a reasonable accommodation to be successful in their job, the law requires it, and we want to make sure that that's not a barrier for people to achieving success in the workplace. Yeah, I know. I I was thinking that um, I've heard people say, how how do we get the, you know, how can we budget for accommodations? And my answer is it's not about a budget, it's about the law. I mean, this is just something you have to do. You have to provide accommodations. It's not like let's think about it. It's that's what you have to do, period. And, you know, the idea of the cost of these accommodations, just so you know, with recent studies, I mean, the cost of accommodations has been, only, let's see, $500 approximately. So, you know, folks, you've got to make it happen. You've got to make it happen for people with disabilities. I see we have another caller on the line, uh, Doug from Daytona Beach, Florida. Go ahead, Doug. Good morning, Joyce and Pat. This is Doug in Daytona. I wanted to call in to make a, a brief comment um, about the passage of the uh, the new regulations for 503. Um, I think it, it's about time that we're looking at doing something to mandate that that employers hire people with disabilities who are well qualified to provide the kind of work that we want. Um, and I'm glad to hear that um, that the the agency looks at mandating a seven at least a seven percent. Because there are people out there that can do the work, and as as we all know, the the unemployment rate among people with disabilities is seventy percent. We complain about the employment picture nationally is what ten, eleven, twelve percent, and it's nothing next to seventy percent. And people don't seem to get upset about that. There are a lot of us out here who are well-skilled, that can do the work. We just need the opportunity. And it was just, as was just mentioned, the cost of 
modifying, uh, of accommodating a person with a disability is negligible next to the kind of skills that that person can provide. Uh, so I'm happy to hear that there is a push to hopefully do something about getting some people who are skilled to do the work. Well, I, I hope you're, I hope you will submit your comments, but let me just clarify something with respect to the, to the goals. Um, we, we, uh, we've set forth a range, um, and there's a range of goals. And the goals are just that. They're goals. They're not right. mandated. They're not quotas. Um, and in many ways, they are aspirational for some contractors who are not there yet. Um, but what we're hoping is that really with all of these other steps that we are mandating that, that contractors take, that the, they will have reached the goal by virtue of having engaged in the things that are mandatory, the outreach, the recruitment, the policies. Um, and I, too, hope that... Um, contractors and others, like many other contractors, employers who already do hire many people with disabilities, realize the untapped resource there is out there in terms of talent and experience and expertise. That's really, I think, the important thing. And the new doors that are going to be open, not just for companies, but for those people with disabilities and their families to enjoy, as Joyce had mentioned, um, the American dream. Exactly, and we we and you know, besides educating uh, companies out there, we also need to educate our consumers with disabilities that they can reach for the stars and reach to get a a, a position like that. Um, the, Dad, the I just want to say, are, I could not agree with you more. I always tell people, don't let anyone lower the bar, and I know that many Americans with disabilities aren't even looking for jobs. That's why, you know, 70% of people with disabilities aren't even part of the labor uh, force, you know, where they're counting people. And, and one of the reasons is because people with disabilities have become so depressed about this. I mean, you know, they don't even think they have a prayer of getting through the door because of so much rejection. So I agree with you. I think this, Doug, would be the thing that would, for the first time, give hope to people with disabilities. Right, and, and, and I'm glad what you said about a goal. Yes, it's not mandated, but it's something for us to shoot for, and I'm hoping we can do better, better than 7%, uh, but at least we're in the right direction, which I'm really happy to hear. Well, Doug, you keep that uh, passion that you have, and make sure you send those comments in that you just said because they were excellent, and thank you for calling. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You probably all noticed I'm not taking a break, but that's because I'm getting so many questions either tweeted and or people on the line. So we have another caller from California. Darlene, go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if if there's something that can be done so... Um, people on SSI can even compete with people who have better resources on SSDI and Medicare. Um, we can't even seem to get on that playing field. And um, it seems like the state voc rehabs are focused on the part-time greeter-type jobs and not um, helping people who are high IQ um, re-enter. And I'm wondering if there is or can be 
um, some sort of program for an on-the-job reentry retraining so that um, people could who have the capability but need a, a hand could get back in there. Uh, for for me, I it's been so long, and being rejected by the state um, for voc rehab services meant also being rejected for pass. So I have no means to outdo the failures of the system, and I have no resume. So how? And I'm sure there's many people in my position. How would we get back back out there? Well, what I would encourage you to do is um, to really submit comments on that because what you've discussed is a very important and critical issue um, that we're still trying to work on within the disability community. And the disability community is trying very hard to grapple with um, with really how, how do we ensure that there is employment of so much more than just the 20% of those who um, that actually participate. So that's your particular situation is not an area within kind of our jurisdiction, but you raise a very important point, and I'm, I'm thinking that it's important for you to share that information for those of us who are, who are working on this regulation. Yeah, me too. I think, Darlene, you should send those comments in. I really do think that that is uh, very important. And uh, I'm going to try to put up uh, information, Darlene, for people who have not worked, uh, how you go about, you know, using volunteer work uh, or different things in your life to put together some type of resume because just as you said, I know many people in this situation and I am going to be encouraging companies. I am the chair of AAPD, and I'm going to be encouraging companies as this moves forward that with Disability Mentoring Day, instead of a day, make it much longer, bring people in and give them that internship opportunity that, uh, where they don't have the training that could, in fact, then turn into work. So uh, if you watch my blog at BenderConsult.com, I'll be putting that information out, but Darlene, that was a great question. Thanks for calling in. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Well, these are some really good questions that are coming forward, and I am happy that you are taking time to ask them. Here's another one that was sent in before we take another call, and that is, uh, Director Shu. what about people with targeted disabilities? Do you believe that that 2% will stay in? Um, again, I urge you to um, to give us your comments. Um, we did insert the sub goal of two percent for people with targeted disabilities, um, clearly because it's so important that those who are the beneficiaries of affirmative action include the spectrum of people with disabilities, particularly those people who may who have even greater challenges in finding and keeping work. So please do send in your comments and give us your thoughts about that and, and, and tell us your story. Right. Uh, we do have uh, another question brought forth on Twitter. Well, it's not a question. It's a comment, actually. But it's from Laura in Delaware saying, uh, Director Shu, thank you for what we're doing. Uh, we are accountable. Young, youth with disabilities are also accountable. Um, and 
just continue leading on for all of us. Well, I, I just you know want to thank everybody for their kind words, but let me just say I was kind of at the right place at the right time. There are a lot of people, you know, on whose shoulders I stand who have Judy Human, many others who are really you know the the, the the people who founded the disability movement. And I just happened to be lucky enough to have a job and to work for a secretary of labor who really believes in the vision of good jobs for everyone to try and make this a reality. So this is really, you know, this is a, a very important endeavor, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Well, you're very humble, but you know what? If you had not stepped out, where would we be? So I agree with you about so many people, Tony Quello, Judy Human, uh, Justin Dart, I can't even think of all of them that, you know, have so involved in everything about this. Um, but we do appreciate that someone is taking action, uh, Pat, and, you know, you're just going to have to allow us to say these things about you. Okay, just a bit more. <laughs> hey, uh, Pat, what about employers that I myself have spoken to, um, and, and not a lot actually, but some that are struggling with this self-identification process and have said, well, if we do that, isn't that uh, violating the ADA? Well, you know, that is one of the main components of um what we're recommending here with respect to the NPRM. Um, the current NPRM proposes spe specific things to make self-identification easier for employers and employees, um, like proposing the use of a standard form so that employers don't have to struggle with developing appropriate self-identification requests and employees are not intimidated or confused about the purpose of the voluntary request to self-identify. Let me say very specifically that there is a provision in the ADA that allows for self-identification for purposes of affirmative action. And so there is no legal impediment to this. Um, the NPRM suggests both um, that we use the self-identification because we find that um, the corporate culture is really important. Companies will be more successful if they make inclusion and access a part of your company's culture. And such, you know, some of the best practices include the use of affinity groups, demonstrated commitment of senior leadership, and written policies related to self-identification and reasonable accommodation. Hopefully there will be a time when people will not have to self-identify when it will be as easy as coming to work and expecting to get your lunch period, um, and there's kind of no questions asked. I mean, the other side or the flip side of this question is that I know that for people with disabilities, it's a very tricky proposition. Why would you, during the course of an interview for a job that you may want and you don't know if you have, actually disclose something that you're not sure the person who's interviewing you might perceive as an impediment? I mean, it's, it's difficult, um, and that's why I think it's important that you create the culture of welcomeness and receptivity. Um, I know, you know, somebody who worked in the women's movement for many years and in sex discrimination and sex harassment cases, people know the good companies to go work for because they get a reputation. And what we want contractors to do is to build um, a reputation where 
where they they are they are known for, um, like others in the community, some of our corporate leaders, they are known for being progressive. They're known for being open and 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 inclusive. Um, so that's why we've we've done both the pre as well as the post offer um, a self identification. You know, it's been what forty years since we had these other regulations. It's going to take time. I mean, this is all going to take time. We are all going to have to work on it together to make sure that we get it right. Um, but here is a tool that we think is important. And right. We'll see. I think it's very important. And, you know, when we're talking about this, I'm thinking, okay, someday, years in the future, I can see people looking back at this as they look back at the hiring of women and people of color saying, you've got to be kidding that they had to do this to get people with disabilities employed. I mean, we are people. I am a person. It just so happens I have epilepsy. And by the way, disability does not discriminate, so people of color with disabilities, you know, whatever the background is, male, female, whatever the ethnic background is, let me tell you, you just have more issues to deal with. That is why I always say minorities with disabilities have double jeopardy, and if they're female, triple jeopardy. So, you know, this isn't just one group. This is all of us. That's why this is so important. And until the day that companies have a welcoming, you know, not just being tolerant, we won't be able to change this at all. And why I believe this is so important and why I know all of you have to send in comments is that this would change history. This would be it. This would be the thing that would change history for the employment of people with disabilities. So whenever you keep sending all this information, which I appreciate all of these, uh, all this on Twitter and email saying, what can we do? The only reason I'm not reading all of it is the main thing you can do is send in your comments. Am I right, Pat? Absolutely. So, Pat, what is going to be the biggest obstacle? Is it going to be these, the lack of comments, lack of people sending in their comments? I mean, what would it be for, um, for, for any civil rights, for any regulation? Well, you know, there, there are a lot of regulations floating out there, um, and there are a lot of important interests that, you know, the government has to weigh. I think this is a very important interest, um, and I think the more compelling the, the uh, comments are, the easier it will be for us to really analyze how it is we should develop this rule. Right. And by the way, folks, I have hired people with significant disabilities, which the federal government refers to as targeted disabilities. When I started Bender Consulting, I, right from the beginning, made a decision I would focus on the employment of people with significant disabilities, blind, people who are deaf, we use a wheelchair, epilepsy, psychiatric disability, you know, whatever it would be. And... The reason I did that is the more significant the disability, the harder it is to gain employment. And people that I have met had been on like 20 to 23 interviews before they met me, and yet they had a college degree, you know, very articulate, 
great background. But again, the more significant the disability, the harder it is to gain employment. And that is why, once again, I urge everyone to be sending in their comments to make this happen. Um, well, Pat. Yes. I want to applaud you for everything you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. I've got a great team here. Yes, you do. Um, so, Pat. Yes. Wow, you've accomplished so much already that I think I'm going to guess what the answer to this is, but what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Hmm. I think my husband, <laughs> to be honest Wow, with your you. husband. I think my husband and my family. I mean, I have a terrific husband and life partner and terrific daughters and family and sister and brother and father. But really, it's my husband because he has been the one that's been my support. And he's the reason why I can do this fabulous work because he believes in it. And he he lives way where he lives and I live here. So um, I don't know if he's listening to this, but I guess I'll just give him a shout out. Oh, well, that is so nice. And you know what, though? If you don't have support, whatever it is, family, friends, whatever it is, it really is hard to make a difference. Yes, and he keeps me, he's supportive. You know, when I come home, I'm like, oh, my, what a day I had. And he's very supportive, and he just says, you got to keep in mind, you got to keep the big picture in mind, you got to keep your eyes on the prize. Hey, before we go to the last question, I have uh, Mark on the line. Mark, go ahead. Hey, how are you, Joyce? Hello, Pat. Um, Hi. This is Mark Curriello from AAPD. Um, you know, I really just want to thank you uh, and congratulate you for making such a tremendous difference um, in the lives of people with disabilities all across America. Uh, this is, we've been waiting a long time, and we can't wait any longer. Um, and your leadership has been instrumental in moving the ball forward. Um, this really can be a game changer for so many people, um, and so I want to thank you for that. Um, and just really reiterate what I've been hearing, which is for folks out there that want to make sure that these regs go through and sail through, um, submit your comments. There's two more weeks, um, and, you know, whether you are a Fortune 500 business, a small um, business, uh, which makes up, you know, the, the backbone of America, um, or you're an individual um, who's going to be affected by this, I just would encourage folks to, to really send in comments. Um, but, Pat, uh, my hat's off to you for, for making such a big, big difference for so many people. Thank you. Well, well thank you, Mark, and, and thank you, Joyce. But I think um, it, it, it certainly is true that we can't wait. No, we can't. And, Mark, I want to also um, applaud you because I, I am actually proud to be the chair of AAPD. You're one of the reasons I am. But, Pat, I want you to know he took time to go to all of our board really telling them about this, and I believe that helped with uh, American Airlines. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, Joyce, um, you know, I couldn't do it without you either. Um, you know, you have been instrumental in so much of AAPD's success. Um, and I'm happy and honored to, to work with you, and I think I'm going to see you in a little bit um, here in New York City. So you I are. To you you are going to yep. see me in a little bit, so I'll still be talking to you about this. There you go. Hey, Mark, thanks for calling in. You got it. Thank you both. Thank you. Uh, Pat, I have a comment here from Mr. Quelo because he was at meetings today. 
but had asked me to make sure I make this comment. He wanted me to thank you for what you're doing. Uh, he has been working on this for over 20 years and that this would be the greatest thing that has happened for Americans with disabilities as the author of the ADA that he wanted me to say this is even greater. Well, he's he's a real personal hero for me, and um, I'm so appreciative of his support. Well, you've got it, uh, because he was very upset that he was going to be at a meeting, so specifically asked me if I would, you know, make this comment. You all know Tony Quello, former congressman, author of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and he has been going around the country telling everyone about this because, uh, as he said to me, this would be the greatest celebration we could ever have. Those barriers, those attitudinal barriers would come down and people like us, people with disabilities, would have the chance to work. You know, I always say disability and poverty go hand in hand. And although I think that it's great to have speakers and to have posters and to have all of these things at companies, we've been having that for a long time. But when you hire people, that's really what changes the work face of America. When you're working side by side with a person with a disability, that's what makes the difference. So all of those other things are great, but where the rubber meets the road is employment. So, you know, I really want to encourage all of you again to make sure you make those comments. Um, Pat, if you had to leave a message with our listeners today, what would it be? That this is the first of one, many important steps. Um, I think that uh, not just the Department of Labor, but other agencies within the Department of, within the uh, Obama administration are really taking to ensure that people with disabilities are included in all aspects of society. And, you know, we can't wait. That's right. We can't wait. And, you know, um, in this editorial, this op-ed that I'm writing, you know, I know that some of you companies say for you this could be burdensome. But I want to tell you, it's more burdensome for us to not work. That's a much bigger burden. To be unemployed and not able to work, that's a big burden. Hey, everyone, I want to reiterate to you, lead on, power on. You've got to get out there, send in those comments. Hey, everyone listening to the show today, tell everyone you know. I'm sorry I could not take all the calls, but I wanted to make sure that Pat got to talk about as much as possible because I'm so fired up about this. This is it. I'm only thrilled. I am so thrilled that I can be living during a time that I get to see this happen because it has been a long road, that is for sure. It's been a long road seeing us fight, 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 and as Senator Harkin said, it's been way too long. Pat, my hat's off to you. I'm behind you 100%. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being a guest. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, and it will be a greater pleasure if I can have you on here celebrating that we made it happen. Got it. 
All right. Hey, you've been listening to Pat Shu, who is the director of the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, OFCCP, for the United States Department of Labor, and we have been talking about Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act, seeing that happen. You have two more weeks to send in your comments to OFCCP, tell everyone you know to do it, tell everyone you know to send in your story and how this would change your life. This is Joyce Bender. This historic show can be replayed. Remember, it's going to be on Voice America. It's going to be on BenderConsult.com. You can go to the archive. You can send it, download it, whatever you want to do, so you can hear the day that we talked about this on the air. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Send in those comments. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, Voice America.